Hello and welcome to Turtle Tracks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here with Dan Clark, what would basically be considered the showrunner of the next mutation of Ninja Turtles the Next Mutation, and Michael Mayhew, who was one of the writers in the series. Uh, I've been actually looking forward to talking to you guys for a long time. Dan, I don't know if you know this, there's a lot of Dan Clarks out there. So I've been trying to find you for like literally like two years on and off. So I'm glad Michael finally connected us. So I'm glad this worked out. So thank you both for being here. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Uh, the only other Dan Clarks, the only Dan Clarks that are like well known are the Dan Clark comedian from the UK. Okay, that's the Dan Clark. I the Dan Clark. I to him once, and he's like, "Yo, I don't know what you're talking about." I actually emailed. <laughs> he does. He knows what you're talking about. The Dan Clark comedian. The Dan Clark used to be a wrestler. Or um, was on uh, American Gladiators. Okay, and he was like Nitro or something. And then there's Dan Clark, the motivational speaker. Okay, then there's me. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway talk, so i just recently revisited next mutation my daughter and uh i enjoyed it I, i'm curious like i guess before we get into like the nitty-gritty of what was created where does this uh lie for you guys like how do you feel about the series 25 years after it ended i'm curious Michael. it was a great learning experience it was um the thing that we wrote I think was pretty cool. The thing that they made was so kind of low rent and like, you know, way too far into the slapstick kind of three stooges zone that, that it was, was not as, it could have been smarter and still be, still been really good for kids. That's my view. I thought, you know, the, the, the way that I got involved in turtles is this, um, I was very new, but I was lucky enough to have a development deal at the Jim Henson Company. And so uh, I, Henson took me on this tour of all the channels where I pitched this new show that I was developing for Henson. And the pitch was great. And the project was great. And the show ended up with the development deal later. Uh, I mean, at a channel at CBS, I think. But um, it put me on everyone's radar as a show creator, uh, that pitch. And so when Fox Kids Saban decided to do Ninja Turtles, um, I was on their short list. Uh, and so they hit me up to come in and pitch my vision of Turtles. And at the time, my favorite uh, early 90s movies were Ninja Turtles and um, I love The Crow. Mm, okay. And I was going through, in the mid-late 90s, I was going through um, Hong Kong cinema phase. So I was really digging a lot of Hong Kong martial arts movies. I was really into Wong Kar Wai's art house, Chinese, uh, Hong Kong movies. I was really into... Um, um, movies like A Better Tomorrow and Wong and uh, uh, Chow Yong Fat's uh, action movies, and um, so when they brought me in to do to have a meeting about Turtles, I just pitched it as drama. Okay. I said, I said, don't reinvent the wheel. It should look like the movie. Sure. If it's a live action show, it should look like the movie. And um, it should be funny, but it should be character funny and relationship funny and kind of Goonies funny for TV, I thought. And, um, you know, the, the ideal was the, the Turtles are still kids, but they're a little bit older than they were in the cartoons. And they're starting to, their identities as young male Turtles are coming into sharper focus. And Raphael's the turtle who's pushing against the, their father figure. And there's this kind of, why, are, why is turtle culture rat culture? And why, is, why does Splinter know best for us? And how can we carve out an identity for ourselves that's more authentic? And, uh, uh, and, I, was, and I, I did suggest to them that we get rid of Shredder and create a new villain and a new mythology. 
and they wanted and their big thing was we need a we need a girl turtle and her name will be um venus de milo okay so that was already decided before you came in the room 100 percent. that was the whole thing i was curious about her development that was all that was all i i created the character and wrote her background and stuff but the character the fact that they were going to do the character was already written in stone and blood and so and then I, i i pitched a lot of action and i said my pitch involved things like well we should hire as many people from hong kong as possible because they said they wanted to shoot the show in vancouver so i said okay well that's like you're almost in Hong Kong, you know, <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, let's really Chinese it up. Like, let's get a, cause we're going to get, let's get a lot of Asian cinema people and do a lot of really great battles and stuff. And I showed them videos of different kinds of action scenes and stuff. And, and that was it. And then they offered me the job and, and, uh, uh, we wrote, we, the, the show we wrote was the original the, the the launch what was it called michael the east meets west east meets west yeah. the east meets west was um you know a kind of a little more dramatic than it was funny in terms of the writing um the fox hired my very good friends kyoto brothers and they did the um turtle suits but i was in a tiff with the kyotos we were in a tiff so we were talking to each other which was weird because I was giving them notes, but I gave them notes like it was like playing telephone. I gave them notes. Would you please tell uh, uh, Charlie that we need the character to be a little taller and not so blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Charlie Dan says, blah, blah, blah. So there was this weird telephone game when I gave notes to the Kyoto brothers. And the <laughs> but that was it. And um, I fought really hard against Venus de Milo having mammaries, human breasts. Oh my God, it infuriated me. Okay. I didn't understand how she could. So she, I mean, the point of the breath, what? what? But uh, I look back on it now and I like her breasts. I think they're cool. <laughs> it still makes me crazy. No, I love well, them. And like- I, you know, when the dude would take, when the dude, when the dude would take the head off, there's a little man inside there. When the man, when he would take the head off, it was, it was like so freaky. You think you fetishize turtles? No, thank God you never saw that. Your sex life would be all messed up, brother. But um, so yeah, that was that, and then that. So that's how we got started on it. And as far as being showrunner, um, I wrote the Bible and I developed the bad guys and stuff and all that. But I um, and I consulted creatively all the time, but. There was a point where I wasn't the showrunner because every show that I've been the showrunner on since, I shaped the show. Sure. If you don't like the show, I can take an enormous amount of responsibility for it. And Turtles, um, I can take responsibility for the writing, Mm. um, but I can't take a lot of responsibility for the way that the show is directed. I didn't have a lot of control. I gave an enormous amount of notes for the first half of the production. Okay. And then at a certain point, I just, okay, all right, cheers on you, and we'll just do it like that. So and that where did it. that go to? Like, who, who kind of, like, handled the actual production of it? Well, the production kind of handled itself. You had producers in Vancouver wow. who are very competent live-action producers. Okay. And they would they and they would hire the directors and then they would give they had the scripts and the scripts were good and they would do storyboards and the boards were basic for good blocking, especially for the action. And then they would uh, proceed to shoot the show. Everyone was competent. You know, these shows um, can kind of run themselves. It's like a, a movie doesn't have a showrunner. Right, 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 right. So yeah. think of it like a movie production. It's so instead of being a traditional television production where the writer runs the show, think of it more like a show where the where the the studio Fox Kids Saban are creatively driving it in terms of the photography, timing, slapstick comedy, that all that stuff. And then think of the writers as providing stories and dialogues and action and comedy too, but um 
And we wrote slapstick for them sometimes as well, but it wasn't, it, it still isn't my milieu. I'm not a big slapstick guy. So, uh, and I went up to Vancouver a lot. So I would go up to Vancouver and give a bunch of notes and meet with everybody. And then I would go back to LA and then they would, and then Fox kids would say, no, no, do it like this. And so. And so when you guys were doing this, especially with East Meets West, like, did you see it as this is a continuation of the movie's continuity? Without no, no, you did not. Okay, it'd be impossible to think that way. It'd be a big drag. Okay, we, you know we didn't think that way at all. We just thought it was another iteration of Turtles. I, you know, I knew that the, the the comic books would do these iterations that just went off in all these different directions. There'd be different guest writers and guest artists, and it was constantly playing around with itself. And I just thought this was another iteration of Turtles, and there'd be many more in the future. Sure. Because the one thing I was curious I, about, I think that there's a you know in a lot of uh, you know science fiction and fantasy properties now there's kind of like a fan obsession with what you know with canon you yes. know is this yes. canon yes. you know like does this follow on from what happened before which I think is probably dumb because you get yourself into a narrower and narrower and narrower creative space where you have to like try to flag everything that happened before. Uh, I thought what they did with the Turtles comics was really smart. Was was like, uh, here's the basic idea. You do your thing, right? And then, yeah. like, you know, the 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 animated show is very different from the Henson films. The second film is very different from the first one. Yeah, and like everybody can take their swing at it, and then you know the audience can decide was that successful or was that dumb. You know, you know, as as opposed to you know, like, no, Spock never would have done that because of this and this. And like, yeah, who cares? Just yeah, but and that's and you know that a lot of a lot of the evolution of contemporary canon for fantasy IP is is just rooted in millennials being wildly didactic. Um, <laughs> it's just like that generate Gen X was the last generation to like not give a fuck about canon, and then all of a sudden it became it became a theologicalness mandate from, exactly. from this unironic earnest generation that really needed it to be like the Holy Bible. And, uh, and we're all, and all of us are suffering for it. You know, you see these, these billion dollar movies that are like, had to invent, had to invent the multiverse and trans-dimensional narrative in order to prick the. To make then, sense of everything. Yeah. Then, in order to actually then, be creative with anything. Like all that but, is like simply like, well, we'd like to tell a story and it doesn't seem to fit the things that happened before. Can we just tell it anyway? How do we invent something so we can tell a story? You know, yeah, what I'm liking, like for uh, what I'm liking about Planet of the Apes is they keep recooking it, and I my understanding is that Disney is doing an extension is is picking up where WB's thing left off, which bums me out. I hope that's not true. I would love it if Disney just went, "Fuck your Caesar, here we go," and they just did a whole new thing. That would just be really exciting. And they went back to prosthetics. I'm wearing my Planet of the Apes shirt today. I see. <laughs> well, one thing that got that made me wonder that. Was and I, maybe you don't maybe I don't know if you know this or not. Like the the um, one thing that interested me was the sets are from the second and third movie. Yeah, we had the subway, which is awesome because I was like, it's it's a great is set. It? I mean, like because the sets look really good <laughs> on screen versus like some of the other ones that are. But, they so were convincing in person. Were they? Yeah, yeah, they were cool. Well, like, do you know how those ended up? There, like, why? I don't know, but I got drunk on them once. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those things were awesome. Um, yeah, they got them cheap, they were in storage, and they were doing Ninja Turtles and Next Mutation. And they made some calls and they were able to get them. And the, the, the more expensive thing was moving them to Vancouver. I don't know where they were, maybe they're sure. in Toronto. Maybe North Carolina, because I think they shot most of those films in North Carolina. Oh, did they shoot in North Carolina? Then maybe they had to bring it up from the, from the U.S. But they, they found them, and it was easy to, you know, they were just collecting dust. It wasn't sure. like they were being used by the real turtles. You know that, right? I'm aware. Okay. <laughs> so, um, all right. So it, uh, let's talk a little bit more about Venus, because that's sort of the signature thing for this franchise. So you, So they said you must have a female turtle, and this will be her name. And is that where the mandate ended? Or yeah. Okay. And then after that point, like, what was the what? What did you want to do with her? Like, how did you figure out how to fit her into the turtle 
I went to, uh, I wasn't against the turtle, the female turtle. I thought it was a completely good idea. And I still do. Um, I'm, and I, I agree I'm, with that too. And on the page, I like her. Um, I went to, uh, you know, I used to have a trick when I first started writing in the 90s. I would go and get um, RPG card game, or no, RPG board game books. So like the, the, the rule books and the world book, world books, character books, power books, gameplay books. And I would... And I would use them as kind of like imagination springboards, references. Um, uh, and I, so I, I had a big collection of them. But for this show, I didn't have anything like that I needed. So I, I went and got a bunch of um, Chinese mysticism games. And I've got the books. And I just read those. And they got me really excited. And I was like, oh, my God, she got, She's adopted by a different kind of character who takes her into a different kind of world and trains her in a different kind of discipline. And then when she and then that and that's the portal into creating a new villain and a new and a new emergency that can inform the boy's world. And she doesn't it's not that Venus just shows up and she's the missing sibling. Right. She shows up and she brings an entire new narrative with her and a whole new problem. And that was really interesting to me, and it made good sense. And so that was how she ended up as a shinobi with mystical spiritual powers. And and what ultimately we did with the character was probably more conservative in terms of the, the idea that she had mystical spiritual powers. What we ultimately did was more conservative than what we originally planned, just because the show had to get kind of whittled down and became a little more simple. Mm, okay. And like Ninjas and Super Spies, that was one of the books. What was it? I, I think it was. Uh, I got two books. One of them was Ninjas and Super Spies, and one of them oh, was yeah. the Shinobi something. So yeah, there's yeah. some around here still, I think. Those are it the books, like, man. And um, it's and a great trick, by the way. If uh, you know any, anyone who's listening to this is interested in you know writing in worlds of fantasy or science fiction. Uh, yeah, those, because they're, they're just great for language. You're not there's no plot to steal, so you're not stealing anyone's plot or characters. But there's all this language and ways of thinking, and and they're great resources. Oh yeah, like in the '80s and '70s, if you wanted to find people who are obsessed with fantasy canon, you'd have to go to gaming. You'd have to go to you'd have to go to D and D world. You know, Michael, how did you end up on the show? Uh, I, uh, had been working with Dan on other things. We've been friends for a while. Um, and he had this, uh, pilot for a, uh, a puppet comedy called Beyond Family. And I was, uh, editing that. That's for, the, the main thing I do for a living is I edit. Also um, for five. Um, and, uh, and Dan, uh, told me about this thing he was working on. He showed me, uh, some of the early writing he had done for the show Bible. And uh, I, you know, in my own life, had been writing short stories. I'd you know gotten stories published in Weird Tales, things like that. Um, and so I was very interested in writing. And I looked at what he had written, and I said, "Oh, this is a, this is something I could do. This would you know fits in my areas of interest with fantasy and science fiction, and and these kinds of stories." And I also loved the the Turtles uh, uh, Henson film, and and so I asked Dan, I said, can I, can I try? And he said, well, it is not up to me, write something and I'll, I'll pass it up to Blue Chain. And so I wrote a pitch for a story called the way of the turtle. Um, Dan and his Bible had leaned really hard on the teenage part of teenage mutant Ninja Turtles. He was very, you know, interested in their, you know, their teenage guys, they behave like teenagers. Um, I was very, very fascinated by the turtles part of Teenage Mutant and Ninja Turtles. Like I thought, well, they're reptiles. They, you know, they they're not mammals. They don't come from mammal culture. There's um, the like that would be a thing to lean in on. And so I wrote a story about that, about like you know getting in touch with your turtle nature. Uh, I gave it to Dan. Dan said, I think this could work. He passed it up to David McDermott, I think, at Fox. And uh, and David liked it too, and that that was uh, that was how I got started on that. And then throughout the show, my kind of area of comfort was things that took 
found a way to riff on science. You know, science is an interest of mine anyway. It comes naturally to me. And so, you know, the, the reptile nature or the Dr. Queeze character was easy for me to write. Dr. Um, Queeze was Michael's baby. <laughs> he loved his Dr. Queeze. Sure. Because because like you know it's 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 easy to it's easy to kind of come up with science gibberish if you think about science all the time and you read magazines about no, science. you were a young Doctor Queez yourself. Oh sure, <laughs> oh sure. And that became, <laughs> that became an episode too. The the way the turtle right that was mm-hmm. yeah that actually became uh, one of the um yep. one of the more memorable episodes from the run. I'm trying to figure out where where that fell in it, but that's that's cool. So, and then you ended, so and then. Uh, for East Meets West, you two work together to write the the whole arc, or Dan had, had. I don't. Why did it get turned into a multi part? Danny had, had written a complete story that was, I think, in two parts, and I don't know why we ended up integrating other stuff into it and making it more parts. I don't remember just what because I just because I wanted to. <laughs> was that it? I mean, there's no. There, that is a whim. Yeah, it just it felt like we had. It just felt like we had too much story. And we knew we didn't want to do a serial. In those days, the network was really oh, yeah. allergic to serial storytelling. Sure. Oh, my God. And, and like now they won't not do story, serial storytelling. At the time, it was so... Like I kept remembering, like, like look at... Like, well, Brian, that's not really true. doing the serial r- storytelling. And they're like... Yeah, the, rule, the, the rules right now... For serial storytelling, streamers changed everything. But if you do it, like there's two ways to make a TV show if you're an American company. You can either um, pitch it in the U.S. and get, and then they option it and develop it, and then they hire you to make your own show. And if you're doing that, everybody wants to have um, either a full-on serial story or they want standalone episodes that have a soft serial stitched through them. And a soft serial st- will be a kind of evolving conundrum, but it'll also be an evolving character arc so that the characters are different from the first episode to the last episode. And so, um, and that's what happens if you do it in the US. But if you take a show out internationally and you raise financing, from the international community and you piece together a co-production and then you take it to market and you sell it to territories all over the world, they kind of tilt towards standalone series. They kind of don't want a serial show. They'll buy a serial show and you can, if you create something that's mostly standalone and then you stitch in a good, a good kind of evolving serial element into it and just, It'll kind of you'll get away with it. They still don't lean towards it. They still don't want it. But it's a myth that they'll that that international buyers will broadcast a show out of order because they're idiots. That was just some kind of crazy Hollywood racism. <laughs> like Hollywood was like, ah, if you, you give them twenty six episodes, they're going to broadcast them out of order because they're stupid. They can't count over there. They can't. They don't know episode one, two, three. They can't do that. So no cereal. They don't have numbers. <laughs> they ain't got numbers. They got gibberish. And it was like, it was just like absurd. Of course, no one does that. No one, no country in the world would get 26 episodes from Fox and then run them out of order. It just makes no sense. It's so drunken. Why would they do that? <laughs> but uh, but in those days you couldn't do a cereal. And uh, but you uh, but we were able to get away with this elongated pilot. Okay. So that's what we did. We just we just did a kind of elongated pilot, uh, and no one stopped us. And then Unchained My Heart ended up being multiple episodes, too. Oh, yeah, it became the thing, didn't it? We did yeah. a few of those. Yeah. I like those multiple episode things. I think they're more fun. If I, but from a from a eating your cereal in your underwear looking at TV perspective, I like the multiple cereals. Out of curiosity, why didn't you want Shredder in the show? Uh, cause he's like someone else's thing. Why do I, I have to, I don't want, I didn't really, I wasn't terribly interested in doing turtles. I didn't like run to turtles, like a moth to the flame. I, I had another show in development with Warner brothers and Henson and I was more excited about that. 
And, um, and I didn't, I hadn't yet, I really, actually the history of my, of my work, I haven't done a lot of other people's IPs. Mm, okay. So it really wasn't my thing. I like Kevin Eastman as a person enormously. Um, really nice guy and so talented. Yeah. His partner is um, Peter Laird. Oh boy, he hated this show. Oh my god, he hated it. Yeah, he did. Oh my god, it was like <laughs> I can't. I can't think of a of a more profound hatred. Like I'm trying to think, who do we all hate? What do we hate that would be the same? Nothing. Nothing on this face of the earth. He hated turtles with the intensity of a million hells. His rage knew no bounds. So, what was your? Did you guys ever interact with Eastman and or Laird? Uh, 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 I, yeah, Eastman, sure, of course. Peter was on a. It's a Peter, right? Yeah, Peter. He, he was, was on a. Sorry, yeah, he it was, was Kevin, on, he, Peter Laird. Yeah, he was on a couple calls early on. Okay. And you would think we were giving him some kind of terminal diagnosis, you know? <laughs> well, it seems you have a parasite that we can't remove. Okay. What? Yeah. <clears throat> in your heart what i have a heart parasite that was his vibe and um <laughs> eastman was more fun and more experimental sure he was like let's throw this against the wall and see what sticks sure. i'm gonna drive my big truck but uh the other guy was like oof oh. yeah they famously kind of like parted ways for a little bit there in in, in part because of this yeah he did because of us <laughs> No, huh? because like I think. It's oh my god! I, I wish that was true. That would be such a great no. story to tell. No, but our, like, I think our they're, Saturday they're morning action show out. broke up the Turtles partnership. Oh my no, god! No, no, no. It's, it's not nearly as dramatic as it's been made out to be at times. But like by the time the cartoon ended and this began, there was like a you know a parting of ways for the two of them, and like this was more on like like I, I interviewed Eastman here. He's like. And he talked about next mutation a little bit and how like he jokingly said, you can blame me for next mutation, which is like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can kind of, I so, like, no, you can blame, I think you gotta blame. Uh, well, let's be, let's be clear here. Ninja turtles, the next mutation. This is a funny thing to me. And this makes me laugh was the number one kid show. Yeah, like tell me because it's 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 like it wasn't. Been, I read I've read online that it was the number one kids show in its category or whatever. No, it was the number one kids TV show while it was on TV. It had it had giant billboard advertising. Mm -hmm. It was a big fucking deal, and the toy drop was massive. The toys were sold, great too, by the way. Those toys and they sold cool. like crazy. That Christmas was a turtles Christmas. Yeah. I went to the studio and they gave me a big VIP box of just goddamn action figures and vehicles and stuff. And I flew to Chicago where I'm from and I, um, I didn't have any kids and I gave, I gave all of them away to kids. I just gave them all the way to kids in my family and friends of my kids, my kids, friends and my friends, kids, and just gave away toys. I was like turtle Santa Claus. That was like the best thing about that show was being turtle Santa Claus. <laughs> um, but getting rid of Shredder, I just thought, you know, if we're going to bring in a girl turtle, then we really should get away from Shredder and we should pull this back because it is a different world and it is a different yeah. story. And I didn't think, I didn't think Venus de Milo would become the future of Turtles IP. I always thought this was a contained thing. It would have its, it would have its life. And then there'd be another Turtles later that was more traditional and married to the original Turtles IP. So I, I didn't see any reason to keep Shredder around. Also, it was less, not as fun. Also, it... it, it more it, fun to it, get rid of Shredder for it, us. It, He's it, again, it gives you, it gives you a, a way into telling other kinds of stories. Yeah. You know, you, instead of doing 26 more episodes of, uh, you know... Shredder, he's here, you know, and then uh, and then they fight, you know. Oh, and we would have, we would have, if we had been, if we had been saddled with Shredder, we would have, he would have had like a weird evil. We would, no, he would have had a good twin. He would have, you know, we would have created all this new stuff. And 
which would have been even weirder. Oh, my you last point. Him back. It was Wait, real quick. I didn't finish my point, though. The, sure. the Turtles, so the, the show was number one. Yeah. Toys sold like crazy. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal, right? And those kids who watched that show and made it number one and loved it, wouldn't miss it, and had all those toys and didn't care that you could see the eye holes in the turtle heads, um, they were so happy. Uh, and they liked the mashup between uh, Power Rangers and Turtles. They thought that was good, too, these kids. Yeah. They come of age, and they look back at it, and they're furious. And it's funny, because they loved it when they were little. Sure. And they got older, and they became angry. And they felt like they'd been tricked. And it was personal. It was like, I loved this thing, and it was shit. How did this happen? <laughs> and the betrayal was complex. Sure. It wasn't just, oh, that show sucked. I hated it when I was a kid. I hate it now. We hate that show. Hate, hate, hate. It was, it was, I used to really like that show. And and then no one wanted to admit that. It was sort of like a filthy shame, like a filthy, guilty shame that you liked it. This is a really fascinating thing. And then kids now, when they discover it, it, they're dumbstruck. It's such a horror show, you know. It's so funny. It's like the. It's like the. It's like Sid and Marty Cross, Ninja Turtles, the next <laughs> mutation. You know, it was so horrible. It's really funny. I mean, like, so what was so you, the show was? I, I know the show did well when it was on. Why didn't it continue past the first season? Then I don't know. There was a fight between uh, Saban Entertainment. And Playmates toys, really? Okay. Yeah, and there was some kind of whatever their whatever their whatever their equity deal was in relationship to licensing and merchandising. There was some kind of I don't know. I don't know the, the details. I know that it was crazy because uh, I was asked to come back to do the second season. Okay. And uh, I wasn't going to do it because I was going to do. Um, Another show, Bratz of the Lost Nebula. And uh, they wanted me to go to Vancouver and they wanted me to sort of audit our props and costumes and stuff. And the idea was, do I think that the the suits are in good enough condition to shoot with them or do we need to redo them all? Mm. And do I have any changes I want to do? And I did. I thought, well, we'll get rid of those goddamn eye holes. Um, God, those eye holes, unbelievable. I wrote so many memos about the eye holes. They're more yes. noticeable than you want, like, than you want them to be. Everything they need to be. It was it, more, it, you might as well just have, like, cut the faces out and have the actors with green paint <laughs> on their faces. <laughs> then they could see perfectly. Um, yeah. But, uh, so I went up there to do that. Oh, no, I was just getting ready to go. And then all of a sudden I got the call. No, the show's dead. Huh. It got canceled really abruptly. Interesting. It was like a sudden death. Well, I just saw him. He was fine. It was like that. And um, and I was relieved. Or you? I, would, I didn't go, oh, poor turtles. I was like, oh, good. That's the bullet. <laughs> Remember, Michael, I had to rewrite all the turtle scripts after we finished them. And then I had to go back up and re-loop it. Do you remember that? I remember, I remember the, I, it seemed like, like your involvement was kind of like at the beginning and the end of every piece. So there would be an intense writing period and then we get handed off to people in Vancouver and then they would make this, this thing that was sort of related to that. We followed the story of the script, but it was very kind of slapsticky and dumber. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, at the end, it's like we had to like, you had to write a bunch of dialogue to go in the, in the, in the final thing. Yeah. No, here's what happened. Yeah. Um, we made the show, and Saban, Chaim Saban hadn't really looked at it. The boss, <laughs> who I like very much, by the way. Chaim Saban is a really smart and entertaining character, and he, he, I really enjoyed it. I had the limited amount of time I spent with that man. It's such a fun thing. But Saban looked at it, and he didn't think it was funny enough. And he said, you know, this is not funny. My, the kids of the world want funny. They want pizza, pizza, pizza. And so... Where's the slide whistles? Here. Where's the pizza, pizza, pizza? 
pizza, pizza, pizza. Pizza Frisbee, pizza Kung Fu, pizza manhole cover, pizza, pizza. Where's the punch you mean the head slapstick? And so um, I was like, <gasps> and so, and and he was getting, and, and Fox really wanted goofy comedy all the way through the show. And so they got that on the production side by just hammering the production. So they all, the note from Fox was always more goofy, more slapstick, more boink, boink. And when they get, we got into sound design, it was more blank, blank, you know, more goofy noises, more, more, more three stooges. And, uh, and really that's really what Fox thought turtles was reptile three stooges. That sure. was, that was turtles to Fox. That's what they thought the value of the IP was not that. It, and there was no history of it having that value and they decided it needed that thing. But um, Saban finally looked at the show and he said, oh, not not funny. Where's the more jokes? And they don't say goofy things and they don't say sassy things to each other. So uh, they asked me to punch up all 26 episodes with oh, more wow. verbal comedy. And they gave us more money. They rehired me at my rate. Because I'd finished the show. It was done. And then they rehired me at my rate to go through every episode and and watch very care watch the mouths very carefully so i could replace some of the existing dialogue with with jokey dialogue oh wow which was a kind of saban thing cuz i had to do that with the big walk around right. suits the big walk around suits and power rangers sure yeah they would they would they would rewrite the dialogue for them and then they would have to created so it would match when they looped it in English. And so Saban was kind of in that mindset. It's easy. Let's do it. And so I got, and so I had to sit and really look at the time code and then record dialogue and then stick it in to see if it fit. So I, I added, I went in and made it worse. I went in and added some, I added a bunch of dialogue that was really stupid. And, um, I thought made it less funny. <laughs> and then I went up to Vancouver and we re-recorded the entire cast, adding these little comedy punch-ups. Mm. Um, yeah. Which is why, I mean, like that little story that he just told you of production, that's why the show is the way it is and that people get so frustrated with it. I will you know, say that, that I... I, I... I have love for everything Turtles. I and this was one of those things where I I didn't ever got like viscerally mad about this show as some people did, which I think is ridiculous. But like I didn't love it, and then I went and back to it recently with my daughter and watched it, and I was like, this show would be at least fifty percent better if they dropped the fucking sound effects. Oh, the sound design that was a note that was the sound the, effects after are, those oh. sound effects got added after we delivered the show. Because I what? actually originally I did have control over sound design, and my whole career I'm really into that. Like I I'm obsessed with sound design. Okay. I give a lot of notes. I go in. I sit in the mix. Like nobody mixes my show alone. I'm in the room. There, you, you can't lock the mix. You they mix it themselves. But then I go in and I do a listen, and I lock the mix in person. I always have since the very beginning, and I did that on this show. And then they came back to me and they said, Fox said, um, more goofy, more dumb. Because like the suits, even with the eye holes, they work well. They don't look bad at all. They look really good. Like You notice did these really lightweight radio controlled. They look they good. They look better than the final. Uh, they look good. The, like, the, I, the, I the, mech, the mech for the turtle suits was state of the art and brand new. Sure. And it, had, and it was real lightweight. And the Kyotos did a amazing job creating those suits and creating those radio-controlled heads. And Charlie Kyoto did a ton of designs on that show, and he did a great job. Um, I thought the Kyotos did an amazing job under difficult circumstances. But you're saying you're making a point. Sorry. No, no, no. I just think that I think that the sound effects laid in so thick. Oh yeah. Really, I think one of the like, I think it's, I think that's one of the reasons why the show has a troubled legacy. I think it's just like that's that, like, 
because the the the, the characters are pretty are, are pretty much like on point with what we would recognize. Like other iterations of turtles would change the characters' personalities and things like that. There's none of that. Venus, there's been there's some weird sexism about it too, because yeah. like there have been about twenty. Well, welcome to the to all fandom of all yeah. science fiction fantasy. Weird well, sexism is, is like baked in. You know, well, there's like twenty fifth turtles. There's a whole bunch of shit. There's a ton of fifth turtles. The first one that was a girl, they're like, ah, fifth turtle, fuck this. And it was like, well, okay, but you know, there's Slash and Toka and this and that. There's so many other characters that fit the category of fifth turtle that you get mad at the one that's a girl. It it, it doesn't quite. And that character has since come back. I don't know if you guys know that, that she's in the comic books again. And there's a new girl turtle that people really like. Like, I just think there's something about like, there's that angry fandom thing that plays into this. I like I said, I think the sound effects hurt it, uh, but I think the stories are interesting. I think that the uh, like you guys, the the smart thing to do was no, let's not have Shredder attack everybody every week. Like bringing Venus in with a whole stretch of new continuity to actually make a whole world around works. So like I think I don't know. I think this show is worthy of a reexamination. If only there's a way to turn down that sound effects bar. But don't you think the girl turtle should have been named Shelly? Clearly, that no, would have been better. <laughs> I just made that up. The um, I, I remember we we did we, we had we made terrible mistakes, like because we didn't know what we were doing. Sometimes, like we did, we wrote dialogue in the fights. Mm, okay, and then when they shot the fights, they would have the characters doing the dialogue during a punch. So there's the whoosh. And then there's the impact. And then there's the grunt. And in that was the dialogue. So it was a mixed nightmare. Because you whoosh, boom, ooh. And right in there, the guy's saying, take it or leave it. And and so, and it just created a nightmare. I mean, the show had a lot of like little things like that. Michael went up to Vancouver, remember? Remember yeah. Michael? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so... Uh, I had written the one script and uh, and I ended up writing a, a several more and we all went up to Vancouver and uh, uh, when you get there, you got to go through customs and the first thing they say is, you know, are you here on vacation or for work? And I said, I'm here for work. And the guy says, okay, what do you do? And oh. I said, I'm a writer. And for me, that was like this, like this, magical moment like holy crap i am a writer i'm a writer you know because i'd never been a professional writer before and i uh, didn't realize it till i was forced to say it for a form at customs um <laughs> and uh being there was was super fun and super interesting um and there was there was for me also the 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 understanding of what it is to write on something that you really have no control over at all Mm. Uh, I, I, I discovered, you know, as part of that process, that writing for TV, you kind of have to be like a mother bird. You have to care intensely about this thing while you are responsible for it. You have to like love the script with all your heart and with great passion. And the second it leaves the nest, you have to not think about it anymore because sure. It's what's going to happen to that little story once it leaves your nest is not pretty, <laughs> you know, unless like unless you're very, very, very fortunate. I've you know, worked on some of the dance shows and then I give it, you know, that, that he has control over uh, his revision of my story makes it better. And then what they do in, in creating the show makes it better still. But on Turtles, it was like, like, holy cow, this is, you know, like, I, like I'm like I'm trying to like write a really cool little fantasy urban story. Um, uh, and you know, with things that I think are really interesting and clever and then off it goes and like, okay, don't think about it anymore. Um, but it was, the set was amazing. The, the, the walk around suits were pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you remember that Michael, you were there for the first, the first production meeting, right? I think so. Do you remember the, the, our, our executive producer from LA he was up there as well. And 
Do you remember I I had seen that those Chinese movies where the kid fights with his ponytail? Yes, yes. And I fucking love those. I love the kid beating the crap out of adult with his ponytail. And he could grab a sword with a ponytail and run someone through. His ponytail was muscular. And so I, I the little vampire boy, what's his name? Bing? Bing. I gave him, I, I wrote an, a, a weaponized ponytail. Just stole it. And I really wanted him just to beat the shit out of people with his ponytail. And I don't know why we were talking about that character at the first production meeting, but we were. And it was a big crowd. You know, on a television show, a product, the first production meeting has everybody and his brother. It's like a million people around these big tables and there's people against the walls and it's huge. By the time you get to episode 18, there's like six people at the production meeting. You know what I mean? <laughs> And the posture is completely different. Like, and you can see their ribs. Um, so uh, Circles around their eyes. I don't know why, but the executive from L.A. was really into this Bing character with his, with his murdering ponytail. And he said, how's Bing's ponytail coming along? Because that was a popular item. And um, the makeup artist, who was responsible for hair, said... We're having difficulty making a ponytail that can fight. And then the and then the LA executive said, remember this, Michael? And he goes, what do you mean we're having difficulty? And then uh, some other person who was like a fax goes, well, the pony in order to in order to perform the ponytail, we have to put a wire on it, and then we have to secure it to the child's head, and we have to manipulate it. And it's really difficult. And he gave all these reasons why it wasn't working. And the L, do you remember this, Michael? And then the, and then the LA executive said, "Figure it out, figure it out." <laughs> and the whole table was like, and it created this moment where it was a horrible way to start the show. <laughs> Have the executive just beat the shit out of this nice. 65 year old makeup artist because he also like you know an executive should like understand filmmaking technique a little bit you know i'd like to be able to break it down it's like okay so maybe we shouldn't that executive thought it was like prison you go in you take out the first motherfucker that looks at you you know (laughs) just break his break his femur and then no one's gonna like challenge you for the rest of the show or something i don't know what he was doing So, guys, I, I, I wish I had a lot of more time, but I, I wanted to get one more question in before I had to run because I have another thing at, at three my time. So I, I didn't want to be uh, – I, I just want to ask you each your uh, favorite turtle and, and why. Our favorite turtle for, of the four? Yeah, of the four. Sorry. Yeah. Or our like natural world species. If you, if you prefer to answer that question, that's okay too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fond of terrapins. And red-eared sliders. Um, uh, Donatello. That's okay, too. <laughs> Donatello is my favorite. Oh, yeah, because you get to Right, you like Donatello. What about you, Dan? Favorite turtle from my experience working on turtles or favorite turtle as a person who looks at turtles, like the show Turtles. Like the- Let's go from your experience, like who you enjoyed writing for or developing stories for the most. The tension between Raphael and Leonardo is every writer's bread and butter. Sure. So whether you're making a crappy Turtles or an amazing Turtles or a mediocre Turtles or, or, or the Turtles, the Leonardo-Raphael thing is useful and from a writing perspective. Um... And Michelangelo is like a little hooker. He's there for comedy. He's always ready to like please everyone. And he's useful for that. And also because he's a clown, that means he has a sad, dark secret or something. And so there's always that. Leonardo and his and his willingness to bend over backwards to appease Shredder. He's such a daddy's boy. <laughs> um, and then Donatello really isn't an isn't a nerd scientist character. He's never successful as the nerd scientist, the typer on the computer. He's always better as as a kind of social commentary character that he sort of has his insights, his 
his his insights extend above and beyond his ability to be analytical and relate to computer and science and invention and and Rube Goldberg. I think that they're um I think that the original turtles to create I think the turtles were so well crafted and so archetypal. Leonardo the loyalist, Michelangelo the funny extrovert, Raphael the rebel without a clue, and Donatello the the character who's probably most rooted in, in critical thinking. They're all so well balanced and so good. And whenever I see a turtles thing uh, that that is that 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 balances all the the new turtles, by the way, the looks- new turtles. Oh my god! The the that looks so awesome. It does look good. The, I agree. Yeah. Oh, the anim and that style, man. They're doing a Spider Man kind yeah. of raggy, groovy, two D, three D, weird hyper mashup vibes. It looks like the turtles. I cannot wait to see that. I'm going to make a prediction. That's going to be the best turtles since the original good. turtles. I agree. The best turtles. Oof! I don't have a bad. I don't have a favorite turtle. That would be weird. That's why I do. But I do, but I do admire the turtles and what 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 the original creators did with the turtles and how they created a kind of. I think the reason you're stuck on the turtles as a grown ass man, and a lot of other people are stuck on the turtles as grown ups, and why children continue to discover the turtles over and over and over again, is that brilliant alchemy of how those characters were crafted and how they're stitched together, how they relate together. It's Oliver Twist. It's orphans come together and create community. It's outsiders and misfits that make their own family. It's it's mentorship, and um, it's and it's uh, and it's Peter Pan. It's Lost Boys. It's classical and it's brilliant. So I just I admire the turtles enormously as a as a as a creation. All right, guys. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm sorry I got to run, but it was a huge pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate You're it. You're welcome. It was really fun. fun. Nice to meet you. Same here. Four green turtles. Seems to you can find a move. Found on the four greys by a rat. Now they're ninjas. How about that? Check it out. A fifth one found. Coming with who's in Chinatown. Sent away, but now she's live. With the rest, yeah, that makes five.